Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. I grew up in church my entire life, and part of the natural rhythm for my family was being a part of a small group. I remember being in the first small group that we were in, and there were a lot of young families, so there were a lot of kids around my age. And I grew these friendships with these kids that honestly are still are some of my closest friends to this day. And my parents grew these friendships as well that have lasted us uh, through these years, over 20 years of friendship. But there was a moment where they realized, oh, we actually need to grow some more room for more people to be a part of small groups. So three of those families actually launched out and started small groups. And one thing that I loved about this growing up in this environment was um, we really found family within that small group. My parents were immigrants. We didn't have extended family in the GTA. So those people really became the people that we would spend all holidays with. We actually still spend a lot of holidays together even now. And they really became my extended family. They're people that I still call aunt and uncle because they have been such an important part of my life growing up. The other side of it is that I really grew so much spiritually just being in that small group environment. I would sit in and listen um, to the Bible study portions and be a part of worship. And I saw how the adults worshiped and I saw and heard how they would talk about scripture and how they were thinking through these different issues. And I grew so much as a Christian by just being around those spaces. These were also some of the people who first actually encouraged me to start serving in church. And I know that so much of who I am today and so much of how much I love the local church and want to be a part of building it comes directly from the investment that these people made in my life. And one of the things I love is that I see that happening across our locals now. You see that in our student locals, in our young professionals locals, in our families locals. You see people who are following the words and the ways of Jesus together, who are growing in relationship together, who are figuring out what it looks like to live that stage of life together. And I would encourage you, I think joining a local could be one of the best decisions that you make, not only for yourself, but also for your future relationships and families. I know that for myself, as I reflect back on life, one of the most pivotal decisions that my parents made in the course of my future was actually joining a small group because I've grown so much as a person and have found so much family and relationship grew so much in my love for God and of the local church because of the decision that my parents made to join that small group. And that could be you too. Well, it is such a privilege to be with you this morning, Slate Church. First time in Waterloo. Um, Actually, first time really that we're spending any time, I'd say, in Ontario outside of Blue Mountain Resort, which I was there last year. Uh, It's not really a mountain, but... um, (laughs) A blue slope resort is what I called it, but... Oh, Emma, I took your Bible. It's way more used than mine. That's how I know. Anyway. Hey, like Pastor Brandon was saying, you know, your pastors are good friends of ours. Actually, I was a bit disappointed he wasn't wearing his BFF shirt that I I sent to him earlier to wear today. But um, we had the great privilege of having them come out and invest into our church a few months ago. And they were just so anointed. It was a wonderful time. And I know you guys know this, but it's always great to hear it from people outside of the family a little, that your leaders, your pastors are amazing. They're anointed, they're gifted, uh, and they are needed in this country. And what you guys are doing here 
uh, in this part of the, the, the world is powerful and it's making a difference. Um, and so we got to experience that firsthand. All the way over in the beautiful islands off the coast of Vancouver. Uh, we suffer for Jesus out there, but... Um, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Did anyone know that? Yeah, okay, good. So just wondering, is this one of, the, one of the four major observances that we have as a church, and I meant the ecumenical church, the global church. Um, and so today the bride was born. Isn't that amazing? And today, 2,000 years later, look at us. We're doing a good job, right? We're doing well? Yeah, okay. All right, you guys are hard to warm up. Can I tell you this morning? <laughs> can I tell you this morning? Uh, we have wonderful three kids, Emma and I, and uh, they are 12, 10, almost 7. Levi's our eldest uh, boy. Then we have two girls, Alice and Eden. We had Levi within the first year of our marriage. You can do the math. It was all fine, all holy, all above board. But um, honestly, when we found out we were pregnant with Levi, I had one concern. I was, I was 22 at the time. I was like, is my kid going to be ugly? That's a young person thought, right? And you think I'm joking, but I was like, do I need to start investing in some sort of martial arts fund so that he can get through high school okay? Right? But uh, all our kids came out beautiful and they're wonderful. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story just so that you get a little bit of an understanding of how our family works. Uh, my wife and kids are all cat people. They love cats. I hate cats. Um, and my kids actually love all type of animals, but my wife thinks cats are beautiful and as a list of adjectives that I think are just plainly incorrect. But uh, I saw it beyond myself and I bought them cats. Um, I'm one of those people who had a, a young man come to Jesus and ask me, this is a very North Coover thing. Um, he said to me, uh, Pastor Ben, will my dog get into heaven? was one of his first questions. Um, and I said, mate, I actually, I'm not sure about your dog, but if you have a cat, it's definitely going to hell. And so that's where I stand with that. So we get this cat. We actually bought him two cats. I was like, you know what? Better safe than sorry. Two cats, uh, Kronk and Yzma. Um, and those cats were cursed, eh? <laughs> like, like Yzma died of a blood disease. Everyone said, oh. And the kids were distraught. It was sad. Actually, I was sad for them at that point. But uh, about six months later, Kronk grew to be this massive cat. This ugly cat lived outside. Uh, Emma loved this cat. Anyway, I wake up one morning to my son just in tears, Emma's in tears, and Levi comes to me, looks to me, he goes, Dad, I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? He just says this, Kronk is dead. Like a Time magazine headline, Kronk is dead. And I was like, oh, no, I had to act upset. That's so bad. <laughs> what happened? He got hit by a car. Levi had to, Levi looked for it. I shouldn't laugh, it's so sad. <laughs> He's looking for this cat. Um, and uh, he, uh, he finds a cat on the other side of the street and it's been hit. And his dad got hit by a car. And I, and I vividly remember the night before, there was this wild police chase up our road. And I'm pretty sure the police car hit our cat. And I was like, justice is served, right? I was like, good. But I had to act upset. And I, I was upset for my son because the emotions he was feeling. Couldn't care less about the cat. Um, anyway, so Emma was like, Ben, I've got to take Levi to soccer. I've put the cat in a blanket on the front porch chair. I'm like, sweet, it's there, it's all good. And uh, I didn't think much of it, Levi left. And I'm sitting down uh, in our lounge room and I'm like, oh, I need to get something from the kitchen, go into the kitchen. I come back, nothing's changed. I'm like, awesome. My, um, my middle daughter walks in. 
holding the cat. At some point when I was in the kitchen, she's gone outside and she's, she's found the cat. And she's like, Dad, I think something's wrong with Kronk. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, what do I do? So I, I look her dead in the eyes like a great dad. And I said, well, it happened Levi. It was good for Levi. It's good for me. Kronk is dead. Just matter of fact, just told her, <laughs> her face. And she realized she's holding a dead animal. Uh, it's just like, so we just wrap it back up. We put it down. She cried and went away. I was like, okay, Ben, you could do better next time. Go in the office to get some of my office work done. I come back out. Nothing's changed. And then I, I hear this singing. And our six-year-old at the time, she was five, she's out there. And she's, she's like, Dad, I think something wrong with Kronk. <laughs> Kronk is dead. <laughs> That's all I said. That's all I can say. And so she starts crying and she starts lamenting. If you know our youngest, if she's in trouble, if she's offended with you, if she's upset about anything, she, she writes these lamentations and they're beautiful. And so she starts singing this song. Like you could imagine, it felt like Amazing Grace while this cat was just, Kronk is dead. He was a good cat. And I'm like, mm, was he? <laughs> anyway, Emma comes home. We're like, we better bury. Emma's like really sentimental. So she's like, we've got to bury the cat. We've got to give it a funeral. I'm like, okay, whatever. We dig a big hole. The kids all line up. Levi doesn't want to be there. I don't want to say goodbye. You have to say goodbye. This is going to give you an image of my kids, right? Levi is fully broken, and he's torn up. He's like, Dad, I can't say goodbye. I said, bud, we've got to bury the cat. I said, you know why? Because we can't let you. We love the cat, right? And now I'm lying, but we love the cat, and, and we, we've got to make sure things that we love aren't just left to, like, to degrade and rot in front of everybody. We've got to show some respect. His last act of love is to celebrate in this way. It's like, oh, Dad, I don't know. My, my middle daughter, who's just like very matter of fact, she just looks at me in the middle of this conversation. She's like, why don't we bury every dead animal we see? <laughs> well, Alistair, I don't know why we, I don't know why we bury every animal. We're burying the cat, okay? And then the youngest, while I'm having this conversation, has got dirt. The cat's already in the hole, and she's pouring this dirt from the top of her head into the... And she's, Kronk, I will miss you. <laughs> and she's singing over it. And so this is my family. Um, they go brown, beige, white. It's just the ink ran out, but we did our best. Uh, but I hope that gives you some insight into my family, hey? So I should have brought you a photo because people don't believe me. But anyway, here we are. Hey, this morning, I really want to encourage you with uh, just the word, but also encourage you that... We serve a God that brings peace, he brings power, he brings his purpose. Um, and these things we hear over and over again as believers, maybe you're new here this morning and this is the first time you're hearing it, well I hope this opens and awakens your soul to the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is not dead but he's alive, that he's walking, that he's breathing, there's still power in his blood, he still speaks to his people, still leads and guides, still provides and protects all these things, all these attributes, all these natures of our God alive and well amongst us this morning. And I have so many things I could say about so many topics, but this morning I really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to speak to a message that I call religious rubble. Um, I was recently in Arizona with my daughter, and uh, we went horse riding, and um, they brought me out a draft horse to ride. It's massive, and its name was Rubble. Um, and, and Rubble, I don't know if it's a word we use often, but essentially it's just... It's just the breaking down of what was, the crumbling of something. And can I tell you this morning that we were called into a relationship with God, not a religious standing with God. 
And a religious standing doesn't bring uh, something of healthy construction. It actually begins to break down all the goodness that God has for us. And in that, there's so many nuances, right? Because I'm not here to throw away um, all the liturgy and all the observances that we have as believers. I'm just here to say that I think God wants us to make sure that we don't lose sight of him in all that we're doing. Lose sight of the king and the kingdom. So today I'm talking about religious rubble. And there's this passage that takes place in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. And uh, some context here. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus has made his way from the Mount of Olives heading towards the eastern gates. And a few things have happened. He's on a donkey, king of humility. It's a great image, a great illustration of who Jesus was. It's a reflection of him coming in a manger instead of down from the clouds with the armies of angels. And in the same way, he rides a donkey into Jerusalem. Salem being, being peace in Jerusalem, the city. So this is the city of peace. The king of peace is coming. He rides on a donkey in humility. The Bible tells us that they throw down coats and palms and they, they praise and worship him. And the rabbis are all upset and they're saying, hey, can you tell them to be quiet? And he says, well, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. We get that famous verse. He's going past the graveyards of the saints, the old. And then he enters into the city. And the Bible tells us that when he enters in the city, this is what happens. So I'm going to pick up the story in verse 41. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said in verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Lord, this morning we're just so thankful for your word. We're thankful that it illuminates our path and it transforms our heart. And so in this place right now, Holy Spirit, we say, do the work only you can do so that we would leave here, Father, in a better place, a better condition to the outworking of the mission that you've called upon us as your followers. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. When I read this, that Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, that he wept, something happens in me. Right? Something happens when people enter into a room and they weep. It's usually only for two reasons. One, they've just watched a TikTok reel of a military mum or dad returning home, right? You know what I'm talking about? You just cry because it's so beautiful. Or something terribly bad is going on, right? And it's, it's the Passover. It's the Passover. Jerusalem is packed. The numbers are ballooned. People are coming in from everywhere. It's observances of the Passover are beautiful. They're doing everything that you think they should be doing. The city is alive and awake. And Jesus enters in as the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, and he weeps. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what brings you peace, now it's hidden from your eyes. Ever been so close to something, yet so far away? Ever so close to something, yet so far away? You know that feeling? where you've tried in all your strength and all your might, blood, sweat and tears, yet somehow you still miss the mark. I think often in our relationship with Jesus, we do so much in our own strength that we haven't been asked to do. And so when we miss the mark, we find ourselves unraveling, find ourselves struggling, find ourselves in self-condemnation because we don't know what to do with missing the mark. And we see Jesus come in here and he weeps. He says, you just can't see it, can you? When we first moved uh, from Australia to Vancouver, we moved and we arrived with our three kids, 12 young adults, just suitcases on tourist visas, and we really had to believe that God had called us. And there's a whole bunch of things going on at the time, but we in faith had put all our stuff in a shipping container and sent it over. When I say all our stuff, we're not talking furniture. We're talking about just like really precious things. Books, if you're a reader out there, you know how precious that is. Photographs, things like that. 
family heirlooms, things that have meant a lot to us. Jesus called us to Canada as to become Canadians. This was a lifelong decision. This wasn't just like, hey, let's see how we go. And so we rock up on tourist visas. We had visa issue. But the, the call of God was on our life, and the commission was there, and the appointment was there, and the anointing was there, and we turned up. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, our lawyer says to us, hey, if your visa that gives you residency here, status here, doesn't come in before your shipping container does, then you're going to get deported, all of your stuff is going to be impounded and then auctioned off by the government. And I was thinking to myself, well, are they really allowed to sell photos of a chubby brown kid from the 80s? Is that something they're allowed to do? Pretty sure that's a crime. Before we left, I remember praying to God, God, I'd love just two months of peace. (laughs) Funny prayer, right? Because we'd been running hard for eight years, full-time in ministry, serving the vision of the church that God had so faithfully placed us in. And I was like, God, I'll just like two months. It's been a crazy ride to this point. And I really sensed like that was a thing that he wanted to give me. And so when we arrived and all this chaos unraveled, my sense of peace quickly dissipated and escaped. And I was a lot of stress and anxiety. And I'd go to, we'd go from church to church just to see the landscape of what was taking place in Vancouver. And at the time, that song, He's in the Waiting, was real popular. You know which one I'm talking about? He's in the waiting. Oh, man, that song. I can't even remember the rest of the words. I just remember that he's in the waiting. <laughs> and it was like, it's at the time we're like worship leaders and uh, we're wearing like really tight ripped jeans and like a cowboy hat. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, shut up, bro. You're just singing in the context of you're waiting for your coffee. and You don't know what pain is. I'm waiting for my visa to come. You know what I've given up? So funny, when we're in stress, we project. All of a sudden, we project. And so I just spent two months projecting. And and, and my wife is pretty good at this moment. She was was like, hey, God's good. And it's a good reminder. How many married people out there know you want a spouse that's going to encourage you in hard times? And uh, But God was so good. Like, honestly, he was opening doors, impossible doors. Like our kids were getting enrolled in school, even though they, we didn't have any proper status. Christian school, stepping out in faith, and we're going to enroll them and believe and stand with you. They don't know us from a bar of soap. We're getting given houses. I don't know how it works here in Ontario, but in Vancouver, if you want to rent a house, you need your SIN number. If you don't have it, they're not going to rent to you. We didn't have that, but we still had some really rich dude who's not a believer I tell you what, get awoken by the Lord. He doesn't even know it's the Lord with my name on his heart. Every time he tried to give the house to someone else, he'd get disturbed. (laughs) That's all that he could tell me, right? Like crazy things happening, provision, cars given, just amazing things. And all of this, everything but my visa. (laughs) Which it's funny when you're waiting for the thing that qualifies everything else, you lose sight of how he's qualifying, right? Right? And so I still remember the, the company that's got our boxes calls up and goes, hey, your boxes have arrived. You've got two weeks till they clear quarantine. You need a sign for it on this latest date. I said, done. Just in faith, done. Stressful faith, I was there. I kid you not, the day before that we had to sign for them, I get a phone call from my lawyer saying, hey, your visa's come through. Uh, it was a voicemail, right? And so I call her back. I've already left the country because you have to leave the country to get your visa. So I'm already on my way to the US. And she's like, hey... Probably don't leave for the next few days. I'm like, too late, Vivian. I've already left. And uh, it was all good. It turned out I walked in the next day, signed our documents, and it was perfect timing by God. And I remember just having a conversation with the Lord 
And him just saying to me, I gave you peace. I provided everything you needed for two months. That's what I was given, but I couldn't see it. And I stressed and I was frantically looking for the answer in my own strength. But he had already called and commissioned and provided. And I I just could not see the Prince of Peace amongst what was taking place. And I just... I just I vividly remember God saying, I gave you two months, you wasted it, that's on you. <laughs> just be like, oh. <laughs> that's how we learn, eh? God's so good like that, that's how we learn. Every time I read something like this I, about Jesus entering into a place and, and the, the, the appropriate response not being met, it's not because of judgment. Jesus is not weeping out of, he's, he's upset that they didn't see who he was. He doesn't have that type of ego. Don't you know who I am? I'm the, I'm the king of kings. I'm the lord of lords. I've been given a name above every other name. I know there's a few other people with it right now, but right now my name. Do you know what I mean? This is Jesus. He comes in hu- with humility and he says, well, hey, something's going on here. It's making me weep. In the middle of Passover, everyone's celebrating everything they should be, but something's missing. Well, what's missing? They couldn't see who he was. Can I ask you this morning? And all that you do for the Lord and all that you're doing in your life and all that you're striving in, is it possible that Jesus could walk into your life and you miss him? Even though you turn up to church on Sunday and you worship and you go to your local, is it possible, and I think this is a question we need to ask ourselves, that Jesus could walk into your life and weep for what he sees? I think it is. I actually think this is relevant to the church across Canada where we can do everything right in observances, but it's becoming something of a religious response and not a relational response. The reason he weeps, he says, can't you see, even you? And he's really, he's having a conversation to the people that should know. And the reason I say that for thousands of years, God is speaking to his people, the Israelites, through written scripture about what his coming would look like. Right? Right? Jesus, while he's on earth, fulfills hundreds of prophecies given hundreds of years earlier. He's doing everything right, especially for the men in religious authority who would know all of this, the fact that they could know everything about the coming and miss it. Isn't that a warning to us, a shot across the bow this morning, that you can know everything about Jesus, you can know everything about what it means to come to church, serve, worship, and do everything you, you want, but still miss him. Still miss him. That terrifies me. If only you, if it was hidden. He comes in to this city, a Messiah, a King, a Savior. He comes in as the Prince of Peace into the city of peace. And he weeps because they can't see that he's the answer. I don't know about what you're going through in life right now, but there is never a time where Jesus is not the answer for the believer. There's never a time. There's, uh, we don't live in a multiple choice faith. Yeah? Did you know that? I know that, like, especially for millennials, somehow this crept into our theology. Well, Jesus gives us multiple choices. He just wants us to pick one and have faith. As long as it's biblical, as long as it's ethical. Yeah, all those things are really important. But guess what? You didn't sing one way Jesus when you're a teenager than to say there's multiple ways Jesus later when it counted. We don't serve a multiple choice faith. So I will dispel any hopes in you that you have control over anything. You don't want control anyway. Trust me, it's a burden we're not called to to carry. What we have is obedience. We're doing a series uh, 
in our church at the moment, and it's Pentecost Sunday, and it, and it has a lot to do with the lead up to resurrection and Pentecost. But simply, Jesus sets the example before his crucifixion when he goes to the garden, he prays a simple prayer. Not my will, but your will. If you want resurrection power, you want relationship with Jesus in the most fullest of ways, then it starts with that simple prayer of obedience, not my will, your will. That's not a multiple choice prayer. That's a one-way prayer. Is it possible this morning that as Jesus steps into your kingdom, he might weep because you can't see him? We, uh, we recently sat our multiple choice tests to become Canadian citizens. I think I could probably be more Canadian than all of you now. They make a study, this booklet. Canada's got crazy history, by the way. But they make a study, this booklet, where you've got to answer questions. Uh, and there is 460 questions you need to know the answer to. And they'll pull 20 questions randomly for your test, and everyone's test is different, from those 460. And these are not easy questions. Uh, I'm not actually allowed to tell you anything more beyond this. You actually sign a document, eh? Isn't it true? It's like full on. You will not talk about the questions. You will not, okay. And at the time, I'm like, how would they know? But then if you ever, ever say anything around Instagram, and then all of a sudden you feed, <laughs> I'm like, they know, don't they? They're giving, Instagram's giving all our metadata to the government. So I can't tell you anything more because my phone's right here. But... What I can tell you is that we, when we set that multiple choice test, there is, there is four answers, but only one is correct for every question. There's four answers, but only one is correct. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, the multiple choice doesn't change. Yeah, there are multiple choices, but there's only one correct answer. And when Jesus steps into your life, He wants to know that you know him to the point that he is that answer each and every time. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Jesus makes this prophecy straight after. He weeps not because his sacrifice is wasted. He weeps because he sees a waste in purpose. Modern day religiosity is worshipping individualism, weirdly partnered with pluralism, which Up until this time, usually those two things did not go hand in hand. But now they do. And it's seeped into the church where we worship one's self-relevance and self-independence over the need for Christ. Yet on the other hand, we tell each other that there's multiple ways for peace. The world believes that there's multiple ways to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And to a degree, they're not wrong. It's just not eternal. It's not everlasting. It's not from glory to glory. That's only residing in the kingdom of heaven in Christ Jesus. Jesus weeps because he sees something. It's a cause and effect. In verse 43, he says, The days will come, this is Jesus, when you, sorry, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you, hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and your children will be within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus weeps and his response is this prophecy and he's not making this judgment call, God, you didn't see me so you deserve this. What he's doing is that he's, he's reading the spiritual condition of Jerusalem and he's saying this is a cause and effect outcome. This moves him to tears. 
He prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem because of their blindness, because of the blindness of Jewish authorities, because of the blindness of religious men and women. He speaks of coming pain that will be enacted upon the population. Hey, anyone here, it's important to know this is not a punishment from God. This is just him saying, hey, one plus one equals two. That's all he's saying. One plus one equals two. And if you know anything about, about history, you know that these words given by Jesus are painfully accurate. Come 70 AD, a few decades later, because of zealous Jewish rebellion, Rome besieges the city of Jerusalem. And it lays waste to its people and it destroys the second temple. This is, this is the correlation is amazing. When Jesus actually came into Jerusalem that day, where did he start? Mount of Olives. That's where he started, king of peace, of humility, savior, the lamb that would be slain, the sacrifice. That's where he started, and he walked on down to a population that would eventually reject him, betray him, punish him, crucify him, and he weeps because they can't see who he is. And he makes this prophecy. The correlation is scary because in 70 AD, I don't know if you know this man, his name is Titus. He arrives to Jerusalem, and guess where he stands? to overlook the city as Rome tears it down. Well, Titus, just like Jesus, the last king before him, stands at the Mount of Olives. As he watches his armies lay siege, build an embankment, tear Jerusalem stone by stone apart. Roman historians put the death toll of the Jewish population anywhere between 600,000 to a million people. Think about that. Do you know what's even crazier? Titus waited till Passover. That's when Titus waited. He did what Jesus did. He arrived at Passover. Why? Because the city would be packed. And then he, then he closed the doors. And he brought it to rubble. He brought the religious capital of the Jewish people to rubble. And the Bible tells us that he destroyed the second temple. Am and I were in Rome a few years ago. We have the privilege of going every year, but... Um, there is an ark there that they've built, this beautiful arch, and inside it is, it's ancient. It's built, and inside is these great engravings of the Romans taking all the wealth from the second temple. It's one of the oldest arches in Rome. Almost 2,000 years old. Isn't that crazy? You know what they did with that wealth? They used it to build the Colosseum in the quickest time possible. The wealth of the temple built the Colosseum that would then be used to murder Christians. Nothing goes unchecked. Wonder why Jesus wept. And I'm just going to end on this. I just want you to think about this right now. Just in this moment, just the correlation that takes place. If we don't see Jesus, if we don't understand where he is in our life, and if he was to come in and weep, he weeps because our behavior leads to a destruction. And this is the scary thing, is that you could be a perfect Christian in all your observances and still find yourself living in rubble in years to come. Actually, everything that he has given to you now could be taken because of your decisions and used for the destruction of your own life. And for so many of us, and I know this is like, oh man, Pastor Ben, you're the guest speaker, you're meant to come tickle my ears. That's what you're meant to do, that's your job, you started off funny. 
But I've got this deep yearning in my soul right now that the, the church in Canada would awaken to the fact that we're not just here to meet on a Sunday, that we are to be spirit-filled. We, are to, we, are, we should be the presence of peace in every situation. What concerns me the most is that the Christians are the most anxious. They're the ones that, the, whoa, what is going to happen? I can't, well, that's, that's Trudeau and, and we're losing our rights. And all these things are true and all these things are concerning. All these things we should pray into, but not because we're worrying, but because we're warriors. Because we've been called to the battle. The Bible tells us that he fashions us for war. And not the war that the world sees, but weapons of love and peace. When we enter into our workplaces, are we stepping in with the Prince of Peace? Can we recognize Jesus in our workplace or are we just so terrified of what people might think of us as believers? The Apostle John says, what is birthed of the flesh is sustained by the flesh, but what is birthed of the Spirit is sustained by the Spirit. You can have a man-made religion and totally miss Jesus. Or you can have a spirit-breathed relationship and see Him in every situation. And I've got a feeling this morning that there's people right now that you don't want to hear this conversation. You don't want to be challenged in this. You love the status quo right now. You don't want to have to think about this question. You don't want to have to reflect in your own life. Across all different generations, boomers, exes, millennials, even the Zs, we'll include you, just. I just think this is a question we need to ask ourselves. If Jesus walked into your life this morning, would He weep at what He sees in the condition of your spiritual life? And just like Jerusalem observing Sabbath and Passover, just because you observe Sundays and you go to the local, would He still weep? Because I know, I've been there before, you can turn up and you can experience God on a Sunday. You can raise your hands and you can worship and you can actually feel it in the moment. You can go to your your local and have community and feel it in the moment. But when you're alone or when you're not in those settings, there's something deeply wrong. And this is what I love about my God is that He only needs a moment. God only needs a moment to change something in your life. He only needs a moment to shift this reality in your life. And then He asks for all our time. Isn't that beautiful? He only wants a moment, then asks for all our time. But I got an inkling that God asked me to share this message in the most simplest form this morning. Because as a church, I believe for what you are to achieve in the months and years to come, it is going to be on the back of men and women that understood who Jesus is in the unseen times of your life the unseen times of your life. People that understand that what He's doing here is birth of the Spirit, so therefore it's going to be sustained by the Spirit. It's not by your strength, it's not by your might, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord. That is the word to the church for eternity. Would He weep? To ask you to close your eyes. Just ask you that yourself that question right now. Be truthful to yourself. You owe yourself that. Don't rob yourself of this moment. Don't be like, oh, I just gotta get out of here and have my coffee. 
He wants you to ask this question. Ben, if I walked into your life right now, would I weep? Would I see a condition that would equal one plus one equals two? Would I see destruction in the future? Would I see a religious rubble? Would he weep? Just in this moment, you're here this morning and you know without anyone else looking around that maybe you do a lot of things in your own strength you have your own expectation your own desires and you try to fit Jesus into it where he fits and where he doesn't fit you sort of exclude him and we've all been there there's no judgment here I'm just here to tell you that there's a better way of doing it And instead of fitting Jesus into your life, it's fitting your life into Jesus. Can I tell you, He carries the perfect shape for you because He created you in His image. But if you're here this morning and you know, hey, I need to stop doing things by my own strength. I need to stop doing things by my own expectation. I think I'm missing Jesus more than I'm actually seeing Him. And you want the Holy Spirit just to right now fill you with fresh eyes to see without anyone else looking around, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to see that shift in your life. I'd love to see God fill you with His Spirit. Reignite that depth of relationship, the first love, so that in your marriage, Christ would be number one. In your family, Christ would be number one. In your workplace, in your career, Christ would be number one. Disciple first, everything after. that's you, would you just lift your hand up just so I can see. No one else is looking. Yeah, hands going up all over. It's beautiful, isn't it? Let me pray. Lord, this morning we're so thankful for your your son Jesus. Father, we're thankful that He came to this earth and He paid the ransom and He rose again and it was all through His obedience, a great example. And this morning, Jesus, we give You all honour and all glory and all power is Yours and we declare this with our lives. And this morning I ask with each every person that has the raised hand, so many this morning, Holy Spirit, would you fill them afresh so that they would see the work of God in their life. They would see where Jesus is walking through their life in every situation. Lord God, they would be participating, not just observing, but participating in the fullness of their calling, that they would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, that in every situation they would be found with peace, with joy, Lord God. Lord, I pray for a fresh revelation of who Jesus is right now over their life. That He's not just a participator, a bystander, but He is everything. He's the way, the truth, the life. We 
Lord, we ask that you would fill us with the depth of pursuit that would shake this nation, Lord, shake this city. Fill them, Holy Spirit, now. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song. and It's this very simple song. Sometimes it reminds me of an 80s love ballad, but the words in itself are powerful. And if you raised your hand or in your heart, you've prayed, hey, God, I need Jesus. I need to see you better. As we sing this song, would you just actually allow that revelation of the Spirit just to overflow in your life, wash over you? Would you sing out that prayer? I'll make room for you too long I've made room for myself my individualism or I've made options for myself and my pluralism I cast that aside I say there's one way and so I make room for that one way I make room for you to do only what you can do Lord in my life this morning Lord I pray right now that as you step into this place that you would step into a place where you wouldn't see religious attitudes but you would see relational hearts asking for room Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.